You are listening to Mission Disco. If you can imagine ZZ Top from church, that's what it was like. You know? It really was, you know. LM, you were captain? No, I wasn't. I was a navigation officer. Navigation officer. I might say captain. No, you do not. <laughs> we're just making things up now. Who, who do you envisage listening to this? This is Mission Disco, a conversation about imagination, innovation, and Christian mission in Ireland and beyond. I am Simon Kilpatrick. And I am Brian Sanders. And we are your DJs for this conversation. Today we have uh, Sean Mullen as our guest. Uh, Sean is founder of Third Space. Um, I'll let him explain a little bit more about that in a moment. Um, but Sean's been a church leader in Dublin and in Cork also worked on a ship. Um, Sean, maybe just before we talk about Third Space, fill us in a little bit. Tell us a bit about your journey, um, for the kind of faith journey in your last 10 years, 15 years, where you've come from and what you've done. And then we'll talk about what you're doing now. Yeah, um, so like you said, I was involved in church leadership and in mission in different ways uh, for most of my adult life, starting with uh, Operation Mobilization and working on one of their ships, uh, primarily as a navigation officer because that was my profession. Um, and uh, then through that, deciding that uh, I, I needed to uh, get involved more in leadership in, in Ireland in a church mm-hmm. setting. So after studying for three years, uh, I uh, got involved in church planting, first of all in Cork, and then uh, more recently in church leadership in Dublin, in Dublin West Community Churches in uh, Blanchestown. Um, and then in uh, 2008, uh, when I'd been in leadership there for eight years, um, I had this uh, moment uh, that happened in uh, when I was in holidays in Italy, um, and it was one of those kind of major disruptive moments in life when, uh, in a sense, everything changed in the space of an hour. Um, and I came back from my holiday in Italy, gave the church a year's notice and uh, decided that it was, uh, I knew that it was time to move on into something else. And I really had no clear idea at that stage what exactly it was, but I knew it wouldn't be like anything that I had been involved in. Up so that you gave point. the church notice before you knew what you were doing next? Yeah. Okay. okay. I just did a clear sense. So... Uh, that summer my my dad had died um, so we went on holidays kind of exhausted it had been quite a traumatic couple of months um, and uh, I, I was involved in leadership of Evangelical Alliance teaching in the Irish Bible Institute leading a church and various other things um, and uh, I had set myself to read the the uh, servant songs from Isaiah during that time that I was away on holidays. And the first morning I was there, um, I started with Behold My Servant. And that was as far as I got. And the whole time you were on holiday? <laughs> Basically, yeah. Wow. Um, and what what I was spoken to in a way that like something happened that has never happened to me before, it's never happened to me since, but I was shaking, I was crying. Um, and I knew that God was saying to me, you are my servant not the churches not EAIs not anything else um, and um, and I also knew then 
I've got something new for you to do. And I, I, I couldn't say no, you know. So I felt free going back to, to do that, not because I knew what I was going to do, but because I knew who I was serving or whose call I was following. And how soon after you come back and handed those and finishing with the church, did third space come up? What kind of so the, the the vision came up during that year really? So I went to see a spiritual director when I came back from holidays and spent a year going to uh, seeing him once a month. And during that time, really, first of all, my understanding of prayer changed very significantly, and my relationship with God changed during that time. And then, as that happened, the the, the concept grew of something that would be uh, not overtly religious in any way, mm-hmm. that would be centered around hospitality, and that would be in the city. Those were the three things that I had at the end of that um, that year. So. Uh, so for it to be not religious in any way meant that it had to be a business. In other words, it had to be financially self-sustaining. Okay. Um, the, the idea of hospitality was basically creating this space for people, um, for all kinds of people, for all the tribes of the city, we used to say at one stage. And then the, the third thing was basically around convictions that I'd grown within me, particularly from influenced by people like Tim Keller, that, that the city was where people's thinking and uh, ideas were shaped and that's where the, it was the place to be, to be in the city. Okay, okay. And was it, so uh, how soon after then finishing with the church did Third Space come about? You kind of ran with those and then how did it formulate into... So my plan was six months. The reality <laughs> was just over two years. Wow, okay. Um, if, you, if you remember, 2009 was like, that was recession time. So when we came back from uh, Italy, actually, the world was broken. <laughs> Something <laughs> happened while we were away. You, know? <laughs> you leave the place for a week and they wreck it. But that was the crash. That was yeah. the big thing. The big bank in, in Wall Street went bust. And um, so like, it was the worst time probably in decades to be trying to start a business of any kind. Um, and certainly Dublin wasn't a good place because then it went on into the bailout, the financial bailout and all of that. So it was a crazy time because you would go to look at a, a, a property location and literally nobody knew who owned it, you know, or they, they would, the auctioneer would say, nobody will give me the keys for this, this venue, you know, uh, it was, it was mad, mad time, yeah. yeah. And everybody thought that uh, Smithfield, which was one of the casualties of that economic yeah. burnout, everybody thought, told me that it was one of the worst places in Dublin to start a business anyway, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. so it took a lot longer than I anticipated, but we got there. Yeah. So how would you describe what Third Space is then? It's, we describe it as a social business. So it's a business that is run for the benefit of the local community that's its its aim and its purpose um and when we opened uh we had we had a lot of people who would ask people from a church background who would say to us is this a christian cafe mm. um or a christian coffee shop uh they would go in expecting uh, all the, the the staff to be from a church background uh the books on the shelves to be uh, on the yeah yeah that kind of thing um, but we were very definite from the beginning that it was to be a place for everyone. 
So if, if it was to be for everyone, for every tribe, you couldn't mark it out as belonging to one tribe. Um, so in the early days, some folk used to come in and they would ask our staff, uh, is this a Christian coffee shop? And some of the staff didn't even know what they were talking about. You know? <laughs> uh, so what our, I remember our barista saying to me one day, he said, Sean, there was a woman in this afternoon and she said to me, is this a Christian cafe? And I said to her, no, it's for everyone. And then he said, that's right, isn't this, John? And I said, yeah, that's, that's exactly right, Richard. That's exactly. So in a sense, he had got it, um, that it, that it was a space for everyone, including, of course, for Christian people. And so you weren't excluding Christians. They were welcome. <laughs> they were, yeah. As long as they behaved themselves. <laughs> try, try to stake claim to the whole place. Our, our tagline was, the only person that's not welcome is the person who makes other people feel unwelcome. That, so that was... Uh, you would let a lot of different people use it in the evenings, a lot of local groups, Christian groups. Anyone yeah, yeah, anyone. Anyone who, uh, you know, the, so long as the activity suits the space. Yeah. So we've turned down, like, uh, you know, uh, break dancing classes or uh, oil painting classes. You know, can imagine the smell of oil paint yeah. on the, the following morning. But if it works, we, we say to people, if it works... Um, in a cafe setting, you know, sitting on chairs or on tables, then you're welcome to have, have it. But it's almost place. radical hospitality, like the driving value. Yes. So if you break that, then that's the only excluding exactly. principle. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And it's really worked because the space is inhabited by a huge variety of people. And there was a couple of uh, lawyers in suits who were talking to one of our staff one day. And uh, they said, they just got into conversation and, and these guys said, you know what we really like about this place? Um, and she said, what? And they said, it's full of people who are not like us. Um, and that's what they liked about it. Yeah. So there are lawyers in there, but, but you could quite easily have, um, we do have, um, the families who are going with their kids to the juvenile court just across the square from us. They're in there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and the judges are in there. Yeah, you know, yeah. uh, along with everybody else, you know. So it's a real mixed space. Can I ask about obstacles? Uh, you know, because the, these sort of stories can seem, oh, it just worked and you, you took these steps and everything unfolded before you magically. But, I mean, wh- what kind of support did you have? What kind of support did you need? What were the obstacles that you faced in maybe starting this new? Yeah, yeah major obstacles. Um so I, uh, one of the things I did early on was look for, look to talk to anyone who was running restaurant, cafe, that kind of thing in the city to learn from them. And the guy who was most helpful to me was a guy who kind of a friend of a friend of a friend who runs four or five cafes in the city. Um, and when I told him the plan, I still remember he looked at me and he said, you know, to make this work, you need to know food or you need to know business. And you don't know either. He said, it's not going to work. Um, And for me, that was a great uh, moment because I realized he's right. I need help here. So I got, I recruited uh, a good friend of mine who ended up working full time in the business, uh, who had a background in business his whole life. And my sister, whose whole uh, career had been in food and hospitality. And they, like me, worked for nothing uh, to, uh, work to, to get this thing out. So, so that was one of the early things was finding people who knew what they were doing because I didn't. Um, the second 
big obstacle was finance. Of course, at that time, there was, you know, uh, it was very difficult. And we, we came up with this system whereby we, we were uh, inviting people to, um, to lend us uh, five or 10,000 euro for five years. Um, and uh, we asked people to give us a one-year moratorium on repayments. So the first year, we wouldn't make any repayments to get the business going. And it, a business friend advised me to do that in this way. And our, our goal was that we would get 50% of the finance in that way, and then the bank would fund the other 50% of the of the finance. So that was our goal. And when we went to the bank, they were really impressed that we had managed to to raise this much money. So the idea of the five or the ten uh, thousand was that we were spreading risk uh, broadly, so that you know no one was going to lose out big time, apart from me, <laughs> uh, if the uh, if the thing uh, didn't work. Um, and the bank, you know, talked us all the way through that you know they were very happy with everything and it was gone. And then when we had signed the contract on, on the place, when the builder was actually in and had begun work they then turned us down on the loan. So we suddenly found ourselves with only 50% of the finance in place. Um, and I remember having to sit down with the builder and go, here's the amount of money we have. I need you to stop when you get to that point. And he said, we're there. <laughs> we're stopping. You know? So they literally walked out after a week. He's still a very good friend of mine, actually. <laughs> and I think partly because of that conversation, I didn't let him continue uh, when we didn't have the money. So then we had to go and look for the rest of the money. Um, and we, we managed to get it in the end in the same way that we, we got the first 50% was through people, uh, uh, using these loans. And all of those loans were repaid in the, in the five years. Um, so yeah, money was a big thing. The, the, was a big obstacle. Uh, the biggest obstacle was what was going on in me. So, Two or three times over the course of that long, long time, I just reached this point where I said, this isn't, this isn't going to happen. You know, I just, I just had a sense that I couldn't keep going, you know, viewed one more location or whatever. And we've done a lot of those and, and especially middle of winter, great, you know, great Dublin days. And um, so I remember one time walking across uh, a bridge near here. Sean O'Casey Footbridge, grey November Dublin day, with a, a a friend from the world of business who was not in the church world at all, but he was intrigued by this whole thing and wanted to encourage me and support me in it. Um, and I remember saying to him, you know, David, I don't know if this is going to work. And I, I remember he stopped on the bridge and he turned and he faced me and he started putting his finger into my chest and going, it is going to work. It will work. It will happen. And because he was this, he's a really nice guy, but he was a hard-headed business guy, um, uh, it kind of, I thought, oh, he, he does believe, he believes yeah. in it. Faith is what yeah, that is, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and the same thing happened another time uh, with uh, a lady whose husband had been, been helpful to, to me, but I didn't know her that well. And she did the same thing, actually. She touched me on the chest and she said, it will, it will, like that, you know. Um, so, th so there was a few moments like that where I just knew I was being told to keep going. 
even though I didn't, at those times I didn't even see where I could be going, couldn't see what was next, what I should do. Um, So, yeah, it was a lot about perseverance, a lot about perseverance. It's it's so interesting, too, that we have this, we've talked about this before, but this kind of great man myth where we tell stories about things starting and it's all down to Sean Mullen and and his his vision and his uh, perseverance and endurance and whatever. And yet I hear in your story the borrowing of you know, skills that you didn't have from others and the borrowing of money, <laughs> capital to get this started. It wouldn't have happened without that pool of initial investors. The borrowing of faith from these people that when you ran out, they gave you some. I mean, is that your is that your kind of sense of it? That it was, people people put it down to you, but it's really this yeah. community of people. Yeah. Uh, those who know me best don't put it down to me. They wouldn't. <laughs> interview, interview my wife for a blog. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, and and this is not all you, you know, this is what you're supposed to say. There, there was many times when I wanted to give up. There was another time, actually, that uh, I was another grey November day walking through Temple Bar. Absolutely, my my spirit was down you know somewhere under my shoes you know that really feeling low and walking past this exhibition space in temple bar where there's a, a an exhibition of the writer flannery o'connor going on and i'm looking at this going wow i didn't know anyone else in ireland even knew flannery o'connor never mind would have an exhibition of her because i'd read all her short stories several times and found them really uh inspiring for me so I went into this exhibition uh, and came out two hours later completely uplifted by you know her her understanding of grace and flaws in in humanity and and the Leonard Cohen thing it's 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 through the cracks that the lights come in that the light comes in and getting a phone call like about less than a week later from somebody uh, inviting me to go and speak at a conference in Atlanta, which that that doesn't happen, right? This is not my normal life. But somebody, yeah, but somebody had somebody had cancelled. This is last minute. Would you please do us a favor and come over and do this? And the only thing in my head was Atlanta. That's just about an hour from Milledgeville, where Flannery O'Connor was from. Uh, and thinking that's what I'm going to do if I go there. And like two weeks later, being in the house that she had lived in. Uh, so yeah exactly it was kind of this really strange experience but again it was this, the feeling of okay I'm, I'm being told that there's something going on here and you just have to keep going with it you know and the so the the story the the line that I use to tell people now how it we actually got to open the doors was I never felt free not to take the next step that's all it was so that's as far as my vision went take the next step and then we'll see where it goes after that. And eventually, if you keep taking the next step, you get there. You know? So it's almost very much a journey that you were yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. and it is, it is the inner journey as much as the outward journey. And the result of that was that when Third Space opened, this was another extraordinary thing. So, so here's this space that's over, that there's nothing overtly religious about it, deliberately so, so that everybody feels welcome. Um, and there's no... Bible texts on the walls or anything like this. And yet for the first four or five months that people come in, uh, 
people are reacting to this space in a way that doesn't really make sense. And they keep saying, people using the same word, special. They say, this is a really special place. I'm looking at going, okay, what, what is it that they're seeing or feeling or whatever that's, that's special? And came to a head one day when a guy that I knew, one of the local security guards um, from across the square, who I'd got to know a little bit and chat with, and he was a very serious Polish guy, very not very given to <laughs> emotional stuff. Um, and I'd bump into him and say hello, and I'd say, when are you coming in for a cup of coffee? Because he hadn't been in since we opened. See. So he arrives in one morning, about half an hour before we're open to the public. I'm in there working, but, but the, you know... And he comes in, and I say, well, I say, what are you doing coming in now? You know, there's no one here. So there's zero atmosphere. There's nothing there. There's no one there. And I said, said to him, I'll make you a cup of coffee. So as I'm making him a cup of coffee, he's just walking around the space. There's nobody else in the space. He's just walking around it. And he comes up to me at the counter to get his cup of coffee. And he's got this smile on his face, you know, which is unusual for him. And he starts to speak, and I know what he's going to say before he speaks, and he says, this is a special place, like that. The first time in. Yeah, and no one else there, so it's not the atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. There's, uh, and, and that was the experience, and people loved it, like really loved it. And so that's partly what made the business work. And seven years later... Those people are still coming in. We've got about 10 people who claim they were our first customer. <laughs> um, and, you know, they still come in. And that, that made the thing work from day one. So we, we did loads of things wrong. We made loads of mistakes. But people had such a, a love for the space that they, they just kept coming back. Did you get people thinking you were mad doing it? I think Noah, Noah this Everybody thought we were mad. Like... Everybody. Would it be the Christians that thought that? Yeah, uh, Christians, business people, all for different reasons. So a lot of the folk in church just didn't get it, you know. What, what are you doing? Why, why are you going from leading this church, suburban church, which is doing really well and is to, to work on this project that, you know, you don't know anything about, you don't know that business, you don't... Uh, why are you doing it? And um, and then business people going, not the time, you know, just <laughs> hold your fire, don't yeah. do it now, you know, wait, don't want to see you losing your money and all that, you know. And um, it, uh, yeah, we, we loads and loads of people question it. A lot of the church people were too polite to say too much, yeah. but you could just tell in their faces that they, they thought, ooh, you know, this ain't going to go well. This is not going to end well, you know. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, one of the things we're interested in is is kind of innovation itself and the process of how ideas come to us and then how we execute those ideas. Um, so I think your story is also a story of innovation. I mean, it's 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 interesting to hear you talk about this spiritual genesis of it, though. That it's actually uh, God was sort of making you uncomfortable with the current conditions of your life and saying you have to do something else. Uh, there's a guy called Steven Johnson who's a sort of an expert in innovation. He wrote, he, he's written several books. One's called Where Ideas Come From. He talks about something he calls the adjacent possible, that actually great ideas or great innovations, big steps forward, whether it's social innovation or technology or whatever, 
it doesn't actually come as a light bulb or a lightning bolt. It's built upon what he calls the spare parts that are around. In other words, you can only invent from what has already been invented. You can only invent from the bits or pieces. He calls this the adjacent possible. So in a sense, you, your innovation is built somehow with the spare parts of your life. Your sister having a, a you know, relation, you know, being good with food, and your your connection, obviously, with people who could fund it at least at some level. Um, you you you're modest, you downplay it, but you bring a leadership acumen. You bring a you bring a visionary kind of quality, obviously, to the project. All of that stuff. Those are in some of the spare parts. But I wonder if you could just unpack that a little bit, like how you you built using what was there in your life. And then I I think I'm also interested in you giving advice or talking about the next thing. Like if you were 20 years younger, what would you do? Or for those out there that have some idea in their heart, in their head percolating, and maybe they're holding back, maybe they're a little afraid. Um, I so, so thinking through your process and how you sort of use what was there, but then what did it take for you to do that? And what would you say to somebody else who maybe has an idea? Yeah, the 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 spare parts thing. I like that that metaphor. Um, so I I do think that there were there were things around me that I I knew might be available to me. Um, so I did have experience of hospitality, never professional hospitality, but I did know know something about hospitality. I had always in 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 church. Uh, work I had always sought to understand the worlds that everybody else lived in so I did actually know a bit about business as well just through talking to people who were in business and um, including startups and you know watching them do that and talking to them about it um, I the thing that I really enjoyed about the third space project was that I found a lot of people who were in my life suddenly became interested in what I was doing and they had no interest in it before that. So they would never ask me about church stuff at all, you know. But suddenly there was a, a, a whole raft of people who were friends or acquaintances or whatever who wanted to know about the new project and what was going on and how could they help. And so so they became part of the what we call the third space tribe eventually, which is a whole bunch of people who are interested in this thing because they just thought it was a really cool idea, you know, for whatever reason. Um, so that became something that that uh, that was a good experience for me um, to to. Uh, get involved in the other thing that that was a really important theological conviction for me and that kind of goes into the next question was i i did have a very clear understanding that whatever it is that you're doing in life that no one knows more about it than jesus does whatever your you know your uh interest so i was convinced that if i um stayed close enough in my relationship with Jesus that I would get an awful lot of wisdom from him about the way we should run this business. And sometimes that was, uh, that meant going against the advice of the wise business heads that I was consulting with, you know, and they thought, you know, don't do that, you know. So for example, uh, a, a few days after we opened, um, we uh, our card machine 
uh, broke down, stopped working. So people had become used to the idea that they could pay with their cards and suddenly they're coming in and they can't pay with their cards that day, you see. So I just said to everyone who came in, you can pay us tomorrow. It's fine. If they had the cash, they would pay with cash. But people who didn't have cash on them, I said, you pay us tomorrow. And you could see them hesitate, look and go, oh, I see, that's no problem. We, you know, you're our customers. We'll... Uh, and people just love that. You know, now, there's not many business books that would give you that advice. But that, it was actually the best bit of PR that we did in the whole thing. Because they didn't know. Everybody paid, first of all. And secondly, um, people went and told all their friends, oh, this really cool place in Smithfield. You know, we, I, their car machine broke down. They told, told us we could pay tomorrow. They just loved it, you know. And it changed that dynamic. Um, and, and I, you know, that's just one of the things that I think that that's sort of the Jesus wisdom is that he knows that that's how people are going to respond to that kind of a situation. Um, so the, the big advice to me for, for people who are starting out on a project is to get as much uh, wisdom as you can from people who have any sort of expertise in it in the field doesn't matter whether they're from a faith background or not. That's, you know, if they've got expertise, they've got expertise and it's valid. But to balance that with the awareness that whatever it is you're doing, whether you're starting up a, a, a new tech startup or, you know, uh, studying astrophysics or whatever it is, you will, you will never find someone who knows more about it than Jesus does. So to rely on that wisdom and insight as you go along means that it becomes a part of the DNA of the place. And for me, that's our our staff in third space model the Jesus way, even if they don't know that that's what they're doing. You know, they still, that's that's part of who they are because that's part of what they're, yeah. they've imbibed, if you like, you know. Um, so I think that that's crucial. And then there's the sense of um, a startup that... That for me, it's about it's about call. You know, I we're doing what we're doing now because uh, we were invited into that space um, and called into it, um, and uh, I think that that's really important. We we ha- we have our our affinities, the things that we naturally like doing, um, and so I, I do think that was part of what you know that whole call was. Uh, God almost saying, "What would you like to do?" <laughs> um, but but alongside that, there's a sense of, you know, I I know that this was something that I just did, did it out of um, out of obedience, and and after that, then it didn't worry me what other people thought. I was not all that concerned. I knew that a lot of my own colleagues were looking at me and they were being very nice about it. So no one was nasty about it. Like no one said, you're off your head or something like that. But I knew that deep down, that's actually what they thought. And it didn't worry me. And even if it would have failed, maybe you'd survive because you were, you were yeah. obedient to what you yeah. were supposed to try. I, it actually got to a stage where I knew that it, it didn't really matter if it worked or not, uh, that there was something more important going on that journey that was going on. Um, and another part of it too was uh, the, the sense that uh, Anna was so completely on board about it um, because really everything was on the line for us. Well, for me, 
the only way I was able to sleep at night was to know that we had enough equity in our house that if this thing went belly up, I could still pay back everybody mm. that, that had lent us money. Yeah. We would have nowhere to live, but we'd be able to <laughs> pay back the money. You know? yeah. So that was the bottom line. Um, and the fact that Anna was 100% on board with that. Yeah. And she would say she was because she, saw, she was watching the journey, the inner journey, and because she saw the integrity in that, she was willing to go with it for, the, for that reason. How important were uh, failures along the way? But the inner journey keeps you going, but obviously there was, it didn't mean everything turned out perfectly. Were failures an important part in that journey and learning from those failures or being willing to risk things knowing that you might fail? I think that the, um, yeah, the, the, the sense of being willing to risk failure was, was crucial, you know, that, that, um, uh, is it Winston Churchill or the Lion, the Witch and the Ward? I get those two, minutes? but one of them says, you know, I'd rather have tried and failed than not to have tried at all, you know, so th- that has always been my, my philosophy. Um, so yeah, um, but that still doesn't bring you through the the low patches in it. You know, the, at that stage, you need to have some sense of if I keep going to this, is this the point of failure, or is this just a a bump in the road that I just need to get over and keep going? Um, so those are the those are two different things. You know? Actually, I should say something about the square meal. The Square Meal is a once a month event where on the last Friday of the month we put all the chairs together, all the tables together in third space and we invite a local project, uh, lots of different ones in the area, to come along and uh, we, we advertise it as in aid of w- whatever it is. Uh, the last one was uh, the Robert Emmett Community Development Project. They've started a new business, uh, local people. Uh, running walking tours of their own community for uh, tourists um, and it's not a tourist area you know um, and uh, so they we we put all the tables together it's the same menu for everybody uh, everybody sits together bring your own bottle um, and uh, the staff volunteer for the evenings third space pays for the food uh, we spend five minutes talking about what the project is, telling people about the project. And then the only other thing we say is um, to people is uh, two things. One, try to talk to someone you didn't know when you came in before you leave. And two, there's a box on the counter. As you leave, you put in what you think your meal was worth for the for the evening, you know. Um, so we had one last Friday or the Friday before last, Friday before last um, for that project. Um, and there was over 900 euro in the in the uh, box for about 40 people or so. Those are really special events, um, and they um, they become something. There's people come along for a good cause, and yet they continually leave saying, "Wow, I really enjoyed this evening." You know, it was much more than what they what they thought it was going to be. That that kind of dynamic at work. And out of that has come conversations with people, my personally and other, Anna as well and others, uh, about where's the motivation coming from, what's behind all this. So that's a kind of, that's an, almost like one of those interaction points where they, you're, you're in a situation where, where people are going, this is a wonderful thing that you're doing. Why? 
you know, what's behind it and that whole opportunity for conversations and there's ongoing conversations from that, that it's like you kind of create this little place of uh, friction or uh, intersection uh, and it's a really, really good, good event, you know. That's great. I think that the the bit about Jesus is like, that's the perfect ending. Yeah. Thank you, Sean. You're very welcome. You've been listening to Mission Disco, a podcast by Praxis Movement. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Praxis Movement. Subscribe, like, or download this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or online at praxismovement.com.